guys, welcome to Genocastase, and today we are going to be talking about genetics. So first of all, I want to declare what are nucleotides as well as DNA and RNA, which are like the molecules of genetic information. So without further ado, let's get started. First of all, DNA and RNA are basically composed of three parts, which is a pentose sugar, which it could change depending if it's DNA or RNA, um, pentose means it has five carbons and well it's actually it actually called my attention that on the top of like the molecular you're going to have an oxygen atom and then you're gonna it's gonna be followed by carbon one and then carbon two which is where you're gonna find the difference between DNA and RNA since DNA in this carbon two is going to be attached to a hydrogen group but if you have RNA then it's going to be a, an OH group so because DNA doesn't have this oxygen atom, then it's going to be called deoxyribose. And attached to carbon-1 from both DNA and RNA, you're going to have the nitrogenous bases, which could be guanine, adenine, thiamine, cytosine, or uracil. So thiamine, you're only going to find it in DNA, and uracil, you're only going to find it in RNA. Now, guanine and adenine are said to be purines because they are going to be made out of um, two rings with, along with carbon, nitrogen, and hydrogen atoms, while pyrimidines are going to be cytosine, thiamine, and uracil, which are only going to be made out of one ring. So the way I like to remember this is by saying that purines, which is like the smaller name, it's going to be actually like the larger molecules, and pyrimidines, which is like the, the larger name, it's going to be the little ones. And that's been very helpful. And we also have to remember that adenine and thymine, they can be put together, and guanine, cytosine, and well, guanine and cytosine, they can go together, as well as guanine and uracil, if you are talking about RNA. So just to recap about the main differences, remember, DNA has deoxyribose and RNA has ribose. DNA has adenine, thiamine, guanine, and cytosine. RNA can only have adenine, uracil, guanine, and cytosine. And, oh, also this is really important, DNA is double-stranded while RNA is single-stranded. So let's actually discuss the strands. So on the fifth carbon of both DNA and RNA, you're going to have a phosphate group attached to the molecules. And this is pretty important because it's going to be like the bridge between one nucleotide and the other one. So each phosphate group is going to be attached to the third carbon of another nucleotide. So remember, phosphate group is going to be fifth from each nucleotide and two other nucleotides is going to be the third carbon. So if you saw uh, this type of pentose, you actually have to count. Um, you're going to put an oxygen on top, and then first carbon, second carbon, third carbon, which is where you're going to join the phosphate, and then fourth carbon, um, which is going to be attached to the fifth carbon, which is going to be attached to the phosphate group. So in case one day you get lost, remember that the count is clockwise direction. Now, in the case of DNA, because it is double-stranded, one strand is going to be going to one way and the other one is going to be going like the exact other way. So, so you could say they're like a two-road sense. Say one goes to the north and the other one goes to the south. So this phenomenon, it's going to be called anti-parallel directions. And then 
That's how their nitrogenous bases are actually going to interact and they are going to form the famous double helix that we know. So you need to know for the exam how a DNA molecule is built and I would really recommend you to see a photo of it because it's pretty confusing just by hearing it. I actually learned it by building little DNA structures with clay. It's pretty helpful because then you don't forget the actual structure. But now let's move on to how people actually discovered this. So it was back in the 1950s when Watson and Crick were trying to determine which was the, the form of DNA. And then our dearest Rosalind Franklin was able to take a photograph from... It was the genetic material of a virus, I guess. And so she, she used a technique called DNA X-ray refraction, which produced patterns. And if you see the photograph, you wouldn't be able to notice, like, anything really. But they were able to determine um, the size of DNA as well as how much space is between each base. And it gave them a lot of information. So I don't really think that this comes in the exam, but just for your general knowledge, um, the width of DNA is going to be 2 nanometers and the space between nitrogenous bases, um, so you have a T and then like underneath another A, I guess, it's going to be 0 0.34 nanometers. And if you are going to have two turns of DNA, that will be 3.4 nanometers. So yeah, pretty awesome for DNA and that's how come we can have 2 meters of it coiled inside of our cells. But I would actually wanna go back a little bit and keep on going with the story of Watson and Crick. So they actually won the Nobel, Nobel Prize some years later and Rosalind Franklin was not given the credit. So it's one of the most famous stories, I guess, from scientists in the 20th century because it was a pretty unfair, um, you know, discovery because it was actually her contribution and it's the reason why we know how DNA was made and still she was not able to take it because when the Nobel Prize was given to these two scientists she was already dead because she contracted cancer because of the research that she was doing so it's a pretty sad story but I think it's worth remembering it and that's why whenever you read something about DNA they're probably gonna tell you about this story so having said that, that would be it for this episode. I think it's actually going to be pretty short. But on the next one, we are going to be discussing mutations as well as genetics. Yeah, and how, you know, alleles work. So thank you very much for sticking around and see you next time, guys. Bye bye.